0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Hey, welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And guys, it is our first podcast of the 2020 season we are actually playing baseball now. You guys believe it?
1: Not really. That's kind of crazy. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: I, I'm, I'm hoping we can stretch that number into double digits. Uh, we'll, we'll see, but uh, yeah, at least it's nice to have some games to watch uh, instead of <laughs> just sitting and hoping and waiting for them. Yeah, obviously,
0: uh, fingers crossed that things go as, as well as possible. Um, with expanded rosters, 30-man rosters instead of 25 that gave us uh, some additional prospects to keep an eye on. We had 80 players that are on a team top 30 prospect list make opening day rosters, um, which is quite a few more than we've seen in past years, which obviously makes sense with the expanded rosters. Um, But even, even with the expanded rosters, if you break it down by percentage, the number of prospects to total number of players on rosters. It's higher than it has been over the past five years, but I've been tracking this. Uh, Nearly 9% of all the players on this year's rosters are on top 30 prospects list, which is the highest percentage over the past five years. Um, A dozen top 100 prospects um, on rosters, which included A.J. Puck, who was on the Injured list, um, but guys, so far we've seen uh, quite a few guys making their debuts. We've seen some uh, some interesting names. We've uh, seen some some good performances from some guys, and then of course we have uh, another very exciting debut on tap with Nate Pearson scheduled to make his debut for the Blue Jays um, last night. The Reds had uh, a couple of exciting performances from young players uh, who, I think, coming into the season, we probably didn't necessarily expect. Tyler Stevenson was added to the 30-man roster uh, as Tucker Barnhart was way on paternity leave. And then TJ Anton and both of those guys uh, performed very well last night.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Tyler Stevenson, Jonathan and I both saw him perform, I think, very well in the Fall League last year. Uh, You know, former first-round pick. Um, you know, I think with him, the key, you know, not that he necessarily would have gotten this opportunity if Barnhart wasn't absent, but, but the key's just been staying healthy. He was hurt a lot in his first couple of years in the minors. Nothing super serious, but enough to, to cause him to miss time. And, you know, high school catchers need development time. But he looked, I thought he was one of the better players in Arizona Fall League last year. Um, he's gotten better defensively, too. And it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see a guy who, who'd been through a little bit of adversity hit a, a pinch homer in his first big league at bat, and then his uh, good friend good friend Taylor Trammell, uh, who, who's since been traded to the Padres, but they were Red's teammates for a while in the minor leagues, uh, you know went nuts on Twitter after after Stevenson hit the home run. so that was that was kind of kind of cool to see. Yeah, it,
2: uh, you know it, it's it, it's funny because I think what is he twenty three? Has he turned twenty four yet? Um, you think I'd remember because I just looked at it. he's twenty three. Yeah, he turns twenty four next month. Uh, It seems like it's taken him a long time uh, because he was drafted five years ago. But, uh, you know, last offseason was the first time he needed to be added to the 40-man roster and was. So, in in a lot of ways, he's where you would like a guy to be. um, You know, we wouldn't be talking about how long it took a guy to get here if he had gone to college and come out at age 21 and made it to the big leagues in two years. So, um i think it, it it's a it's a testament to to him you know with the injuries that he had and and jim is right that none of them were related to each other it wasn't a recurring thing uh you know it was a wrist it was a thumb he had a concussion at different times but you need that you need those reps uh both at the plate and behind he's a he's a big guy who moves well but like there are a lot of things he needed to learn behind the plate so to see him get a chance. Even if it's for a short amount of time uh, in the big leagues, is uh, is is an exciting thing. And and then you mentioned Kyle Lewis, who was off to just an absolutely ridiculous start. Um, You know, I mean, I think he showed last year when he got his first call up that the power was going to play at the big league level. Um, There's going to be a lot of strikeouts, but he's going to hit a lot of homers um and talk about a guy overcoming adversity uh you know gruesome knee injury after in his first summer kind of more or less stopped him in his tracks for you know especially because he had recurring injuries so the for the better part of two years i mean i don't know how you describe how long it took him to feel anything like himself um just uh, an all around good guy, too, but one of the things for both of them is they're both just great young guys and they're great to talk to, very personable, both he and Stevenson, so like to easy easy enough to root for them and to see what he's been doing and he's sh- sort of now showing why the the mariners were so excited when he uh kind of fell to them uh in in his draft class
1: yeah, and I was at the time i mean i I said back in 2016, I, I would have taken Kyle Lewis with the number one overall pick. Um, you know, I thought he was that talented. Um, you know, the, kind of fell in the Mariners' laps a little bit through a, a chain reaction. They wound up getting him with the 11th overall pick, and, and he got hurt almost right away. You know, I'm glad to see the success he's having. I'm a little skeptical this is going to be sustainable. I mean, he struck out in 30% of his at-bats in A last year, got the surprising call-up, hit six homers in September. But he's, he's struck out in forty percent of his big league plate appearances. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy. You know, he's got eighty six at bats. He's got eight homers and thirty seven strikeouts. Um, you know, I, you know he's going to have to make some adjustments. But it, it's good to see him getting off to the start because, you know, I think if he wasn't hurt, he might have been up a couple years ago and be ensconced as a regular already.
2: Yeah, sorry, I have to apologize. Uh, I just have Kyle Lewis on the brain. Very excited to talk about him. Jason had
1: not mentioned him yet. <laughs> I was wondering about that. I was like, wait a minute, did I not off there? I can't, I can't wait. I cannot wait any longer to talk about Kyle Lewis. Well, you know, T.J. Antone, Kyle Lewis, those names sound very similar. I can see where you get confused there. <laughs> I, maybe I just don't
2: really want to talk about T.J. Antone.
1: Are you going to talk about T.J. Antone? Oh, you, 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 can. you can. Go ahead. You, it's all yours if you want him. I, I can talk about him if you don't want to. I don't, I don't want to force you into something you don't want to do.
2: No, I'm happy to talk about TJ Antone, um, you know, uh, had a very, very good debut. Um, you know, obviously not a guy who has ever been a a highly ranked on our Reds top 30. He's 26. And he's like an average stuff at best across the board. Um, when he's at his best, he he hands the ball well it's kind of all about spin for him uh, and that he- that helps he's got a lot of good movement he gets ground ball outs um, we'll see you know what happens you know as he gets more opportunities um, but he's you know like a sinker ball ground ball guy decent uh, decent change up um, okay curve ball nothing jumps off the page but um, you know, he, he does uh, move the ball in and out fairly well.
1: He you know, he was a bigger guy coming out of high school. He was actually a high school teammate of of Noah Syndergaard and spent a year at TCU. Um, you know, he was a pretty highly regarded guy coming out of high school. Um, wound up to go to TCU, didn't pitch much, wound up at Weatherford, JC. Always been a big guy who's kind of, you know, taken some time to put things together and get to the big leagues. Yeah, he was kind of
0: uh, forced into action last night after the Reds fell behind Six nothing early and came in and pitched uh, very well. Retired eight of the first nine batters he faced, ended with five strikeouts and I believe it was four and a third innings and gave up a solo home run um, for the only hit that he allowed. Uh, Couple strikeouts on 96, 97 mile an hour heaters and then uh, three on on pretty good looking breaking balls. and then, and I don't know what, whether we actually said what uh, Tyler Stevenson did last night when we launched into talking about him, but he homered in his first career major league at bat, joining a relatively short list, but an even shorter list for the Reds. You have to go back to 1950, the last time a Reds player uh, homered in his first career at bat, uh, had tapped. Him. And speaking of short lists, that he joined. We were talking about this a little bit uh, before the podcast, but Stevenson, by my count, is currently one of only three first-round picks who are catching in the big leagues um, or on a roster um, as a catcher. The other two being Reese McGuire, uh, first-round pick in 2013, and Alex Jackson, a first-round pick in 2014, and Jackson is um, was kind of also forced into duty, uh, added to the roster um, due to some uh, some uh, the Braves catchers displaying symptoms, and uh, he and William Contreras both being added now, both getting playing time. But uh, guys, highly regarded high school catchers um, have just. Not been that successful out of the draft over the over the past really couple decades, right, Jim?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I went with the way we split up the draft, you know we we each take half the country, and I had the best high school catcher, best guy who's a lot to stay a catcher on the high school side this year and drew Romo. and you know, you and Drew Romo is a defense first guy, questionable bat, and, and you know, one of the dra- draft demographics that scares teams the most is high school catching. So, when I was writing him up in the winter, when we were doing our original draft top 100. I was like, you know, I'm gonna look, I'm just curious, you know, who's the last high school catcher to have success in the big leagues. <laughs> and now you could find guys like Jason Worth and uh, Neil Walker, uh, Derek Barton. There are guys who were taken as high school catchers in the first round who had successful careers, who moved off of catcher. But if you're actually looking at high school catchers who've had – I looked at high school catchers who stayed behind the plate and had five war for a career, five total war for a career. And you have to go back to, to the last guy to do that was Joe Mauer in 2001? Well, I mean that's a, not a good. Hey, Joe Mauer was the number one overall pick and one of the best high school athletes in recent draft memory. You know, if you're ba- so so, let's let's look at it a different way. Say, hey, if I don't have the number one overall pick, who's the last high school catcher to accrue five WAR and stay behind the plate? You have to go all the way back to 1992 and Jason Kendall. Um, which is pretty scary. Now you know, before him, you have Mike Lieberthal, 1990. So there are others, but it's it it's a it's a very, very scary demographic. You know, looking for guys who were drafted as a catcher. You know, state. You know, before that, I'm looking right now. The last guy before that was Ron Karkovice in 1982. So we're basically talking three guys. Besides Joe Maurer, who who is the number one overall pick, since I began since I first attended high school, that's what thirty eight years now, that's not a very good track record. It's very rare to see guys have a successful career behind the plate taken in the first round as a high school catcher, unless they move.
2: yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of amazing to me that this isn't talked about more. Um, I feel like it's come up a little bit, you know, in lead up to to the to the last draft or two. But, you know, whenever we talk about risk in the draft, we usually talk about high school pitching. And, yeah, there there is risk involved there. There's injuries involved there. Um, but there are plenty of high school pitchers who have been drafted in the first round or the early rounds who have gone on to be superstars or good major leaguers. But the amount of high school catchers who have, you know, who have actually gone on to be really, like, major contributors in the big leagues as Jim just pointed out they're few and far between it's you know it's the kind of thing that I'm surprised does not come up more you know and maybe maybe I'd be more inclined to take a high school catcher who you believe in the bat more so than the other way around even though a good defensive catcher is hard to come by but those guys don't don't make as much so I like you know looking at this year's draft I probably would take Tyler Soderstrom over Drew Romo because you believe that Tyler Soderstrom is gonna hit even if he has to change positions. I'd kind of forgotten that uh,
0: Stevenson actually drew some consideration uh, to be taken number number one overall. that,
1: that, That was the garbage silly season talk of, oh, the Diamondbacks could cut a steep discount deal. I, I don't think he was ever – I mean, he was a, a a prospect who really raised his profile. I, I don't think – most years, this year was obviously an unusual year. There, there becomes a point where it's like, oh, the number one team could, could take a huge discount and and then go nuts later in the draft. And Tyler Stevenson's – I don't think Tyler Stevenson was ever seriously going number one. I I just think that was the silly talk that happens every spring. But I, I don't think that was really gonna happen.
0: Has there been a more highly regarded high school catcher since? I'm trying to think of
1: Since Tyler Stevenson? Um yeah. well you had I mean the only guys who've gone the first round you had um since then are are Anthony Siegler. Like there there was nobody in sixteen or seventeen. You had Anthony Siegler and Bo Naylor in18, Siegler's more the defensive guy, Naylor's more that offensive guy, and then you had Soderstrom this year. So no, I mean, you know, Stevenson was a guy who was considered an all-around a guy who could catch and be an offensive guy too. I, I don't think there's been a, a guy regarded that well on both sides in the high school ranks since then.
0: He and, uh he and Kyle Lewis both with kind of the, the similar trajectory in that they were both uh, they both were highly regarded coming out of the draft, both received some number one overall consideration, whether it was silly talk or otherwise. Um, and then, as with Lewis, he he was, he was debuted at number 27 on our top 100 list uh, after he was drafted, dropped down to number 70 in 2018, and then was off the list by 2019. Stevenson, um, I guess, did, didn't jump onto the top 100 list like that. He actually has just... Uh, is just joining. Um, but yeah, a couple of guys who uh, were initially very highly regarded and then it took them a while to get there. And uh, w- with Lewis, anyway, it's obviously uh, Stevenson hasn't had uh, as much playing time as Lewis has, but uh, Lewis starting to look like the guy that, that people thought he was coming out of the draft. Uh, some other players who uh, have made their career debuts so far this year. Um, Guys, we talked a little bit, uh, briefly touched on the Braves catching duo of Alex Jackson and William Contreras. Don't know how much we're going to get these guys, but for now they're the only guys there and they're both getting uh, some some decent playing time.
2: Yeah, and it's been interesting to note that um, Contreras has gotten more time uh, you know, behind the plate, uh, which is a little surprising in that He's you know just barely played, uh, you know, above a ball. Um, I guess that's not fair. He's 60, 60 games, just over two hundred plate appearances in Double A last year. Um, but he does have very, very good skills behind the plate. Um, he can be a little, a little up and down. You know, he tries to be a little too flashy, but can do a lot of things very, very well. Um, but Alex Jackson, Alex Jackson's path has been kind of fascinating because you know when the when the Mariners took him number six overall, he was announced as an outfielder. Um, there was news that he didn't even really want to catch. They thought well, the bat was thought the best high school bat in the country, um, maybe the best bat in the class. Period. And then he went out and didn't hit um, at all, even with like the you know, the pressures of catching taken away from him. It just didn't really come together for him in the minors. Then he moved back behind the plate. And the interesting thing is is he's kind of become the kind of, there's a certain prototype, I think, of a guy with a str- strong arm and a power bat. And those are the two tools. And that's what he's done. Uh, I started hearing, you know, when, when he went to the Braves and they moved them back behind the plate, that he had really committed to it and was getting a lot better at the receiving end. Um, so I'm a little surprised, given the fact that he was up last year, he's played at a more advanced level, um, that he hasn't gotten more of the playing time in this the you know, time that they've they've needed to replace both of their big league catchers. Um, but uh, you know, I I think that speaks volumes to sort of what they think Contreras can become more more than than anything else. But mildly surprising that Jackson hasn't been the one to get the bulk of this playing time right now.
0: Well, when we, when we ranked the farm systems uh, according to their talent at each position, uh, the Braves were number four on our list behind the Orioles, Giants, and A's. And uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Contreras uh, and Jackson right now. But actually, their highest ranked catcher is Che uh, Langoliers. And uh, they have a fourth catcher on their top 30 prospects list and Logan Brown, but uh, what's the expectation long-term with these, you know, three of their top, what is it, three of their top 22 prospects being catchers?
1: Well, I think Langoliers would be the guy you think is going to be the catcher of the future. He, he was a first-round pick last year. <clears throat> you know, I think there's some questions as to how much offense he's going to give you. He's got a chance to be kind of an average offensive performer, but he's gold Glove potential behind the plate. I mean, it's a really good arm, really polished receiver. Um, you know, if he doesn't hit, I think that could open the door for Contreras, possibly Contreras has a cha- kind of similar offensive profile. Less defensive profile, but I, I think he catches well enough. To me, I, I, I'm not an Austin, or I keep calling him Austin Jackson. I'm not an Alex Jackson fan. I, I just, maybe part of it's watching him catch in the fall league, and I know that was a couple of years ago. I, I didn't think he looked very good. Like, I, that was back, I think, his first year catching um, again. You know, we talked that, like, oh, okay, now he's, you know, rededicated himself. Um, you know, he's going to make it, you know, he's looking a lot better behind the plate. And I didn't think he looked very good behind the plate at all in the fall league. And I, I, to me, he's more of that kind of, you know, like a poor man's Gary Sanchez, you know, strong arm, power, swing and miss shaky receiver, you know, backup type. And, 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 you know, from what Jonathan was saying, I mean, I think the fact that that they've let Contreras do most of the catching probably speaks volumes to the fact that they just think, He's the better receiver right now, and they, they want somebody who can handle their pitching staff.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. That was three years ago that Alex Jackson was in, in the fall league. So I,
1: I think, you know, Alex Jackson, is,
2: is, if he's going to um, sort of secure a place in the big leagues, I think he's probably a backup. Does he ever get a chance to, to play every day somewhere and bang out 25 homers? Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, he's still only... 24. Um, so, but I think he's more of a backup. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Contreras and Langoliers, because I think Contreras has a has a lot of upside, um, and you know there were some stories recently that said that he has been uh, sort of getting some some tutelage from his brother um, Wilson, and that should help him. One of the things I did hear about when Contreras is that even when he was in the lower levels, he kind of th- felt that he had it figured out already um and like a lot of young players you know would try to do a lot of flashy things you know throwing behind a runner at first from his knees and he would make a lot of careless errors and the fact that he's playing now you know if he if he starts giving more attention to the nuances behind the plate he has a chance to be a a really solid all around catcher um so it'll be interesting to see now you know they're a little ways away from having to worry about him versus Langoliers, especially since, uh, you know, Langoliers just got zero official at-bats this year uh, because of everything. Um, So that'll be an interesting thing to see how that plays out uh, a couple of years down the road. But it's a good problem to have. A couple other
0: top 100 prospects who have made their major league debuts early on in this season. uh, Evan White, the Mariners, First baseman who signed that deal, uh, heading into this year, which kind of cemented him as uh, their first baseman of the future, and 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 maybe a more rapid fashion than, than we expected. Um, he's been playing every day, and then of course uh, the prohibitive favorite for AL Rookie of the Year and White Sox outfielder Luis Robert, who you know we said in spring training. Uh, and then summer camp that he was living up to the hype was looking very good. And that has rolled right over into the season.
1: Yeah. You know, hit his first home run the other day. I think he's what four for 11 with the double. Um, you know, he's got, you know, electric tools. You know, I'll be interested. It's only going to obviously be a 60 game season at most this year. You know, the, the, the one question on him was kind of command of the strike zone. Um, you know, he's so far, I mean, again, it's only, what, three games. I mean, he's made, you know, enough contact. um, You know, people haven't, you know, expanded the zone on him and gotten him to chase yet. But I think that's really the only question. I mean, the the, the tools are there. there. There are not too many guys in the big leagues with the tools that Luis Robert has. You know, I'd be... I, you know, we I guess we can check the Statcast results once we have some more, you know, you know, more of the season behind us. I, I can't imagine there are too many guys in the big leagues who combine his bat speed, and and his foot speed. I mean, he's he's pretty impressive to watch. Yeah, he's
2: a lot of fun, and and you know the the data, uh, is is a lot of fun. But it gets to the point where it's like every time I look up. It's, you know, they're measuring everything he does, you know, like you, he, he singles and we get the exit velocity. Yeah, he hit that really hard. You know, he grounds out and narrowly gets thrown out and we, we get his, his speed to, to first base. It's all fun, but after a certain point in time, I'm like, you know, like where does he measure up in terms of how quickly he can tie his shoes compared to Mike Trout? It's like, can, can we just let him go and play baseball and, and wait a little while? Before it's like every single time he, he does anything, it has to be measured in some capacity. I, I think it gets a little, a little too much for my taste.
0: I think uh, people were pretty excited when, uh, you know, the first ball he hit in his major league career uh, was measured at, what was it, 115.8 miles an hour or something like that, which was harder than any ball except one that was hit by any White Sox player. Uh in the entirety of last season, and there were several teams that, that didn't have uh, a ball hit that hard all year in his first major league swing. He did that, and then I think he had two of the top five exit velocities over the course of the first few games of the season um, of all the players in major league baseball, so yeah, he is he is going to be uh, for sure a
2: Statcast darling. Your poor Eloy Jimenez had a 113 and a half mile an hour exit velocity, but no no, no one's talking about that.
0: Yeah, I mean those guys. Uh, those guys are going to be fun to watch. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about uh, another player who is not yet debuted, but is scheduled to debut tomorrow. And you know, with Robert, we have one of the highest ranked prospects in all the baseball um, on the offensive side, and now one of the highest ranked pitchers, uh, the second highest ranked pitcher. Pitching prospect in baseball behind only Casey Mize in Nate Pearson and uh, Jim, I think people in general are aware of what to expect from Pearson and that is a lot of heat, but uh, give us a little uh, more detailed breakdown of what we should expect out of out of Nate.
1: Well, first, I have to rebuke you for forgetting about my favorite pitching prospect, Mackenzie Gore, who's ranked ahead of both. Oh, right-handed. right-handed. Pearson. But, uh, so, so that was terrible. But uh, but otherwise, I will answer your question. Um, no, I mean, he's he, he, we, we talked about it. I mean, I, I do think <laughs> the whole service time thing, I, I understand why teams do it. It makes a lot of sense to manipulate service time. But we talked about this on last week's podcast. This year, if you keep a player down, for six days, who has no previous service time with the way everything's getting prorated, that'll be just enough to make sure he does not get a full year of service time and delay his free agency for a year. And geez, what a shock. Nate Pearson's going to spend exactly six days in the minor or alternate camp before he gets called up. I mean, th- th- this isn't that surprising that they would call him up. You know, he... Like, I mean, I think I mentioned this last week. The last camp I was in for spring training before things got shut down was Dunedin. And the talk of that camp was Nate Pearson, how he looked better than any of the starters who were projected to open the season in a rotation. Um, you know, and his stuff's spectacular. I think, Jonathan, I don't know if you were at the Fall Stars game where we saw him hit 104 miles an hour. I, I, I was there. I can't remember if we both were. Uh, Pete Alonso also homered off a 103 mile an hour fastball off Pearson the same game. But, I mean, he. You know, Compared to Gore and Mize, I, I think he's got the best pure stuff of everybody in the minor leagues. I mean, it, this is a guy who who will sit in the upper 90s as a starter for multiple innings at a time, repeatedly hit triple digits. He's got a, an upper 80s slider that is that can be just as devastating as the fastball, and you, and you can't sit on the fastball. He's improved his curveball. It's his second breaking ball, but it's, it's a power curveball. He's got feel for a changeup. He actually, for a guy with this kind of stuff, throws a ton of strikes, and, I mean, he, he's moved very, very quickly. If you take into account 2017, beginning of the year, nobody's talking about this guy. Goes to junior college, hits 102 in a bullpen session, so he winds up going the first round to the Blue Jays. You know, Makes his pro debut that summer, throws a few innings, and he comes out in 2018, first start of the year, gets hit by a comebacker, and he's done for the year. Um, so, I mean, you know, this is a guy who's only pitched 123 innings in the minors in his career. Um, and, and yet he has pretty good feel for, for stuff that should be pretty hard to harness. So I am I am really looking forward to seeing what he could do Wednesday and going forward. Um, but, you know, if, we, if we'd had a pool, I, I would have picked Wednesday for the day they'd promote him because that was the magic. Hey, he's been down for six days. There was no question in spring training this guy was ready for the big leagues.
2: Yeah. I, um, there are a couple of things off of that. I think the thing that has been so impressive with him and surprising is that the, the last part that Jim mentioned is his feel for his stuff. The, the combination of that kind of stuff and, and feel and, and overall command, it, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of, and, and weren't sure we were going to see from him. You know, he was as Jim said, he was kind of you know a bit of a pop-up guy. People didn't know a ton about um, who threw really, really hard. You know, if, if you were to poll scouts in that draft, I don't know how many would have said that. He, you know, he pro- you know at least has a chance to end up in the bullpen. Probably a good amount. You know, you know with that fastball, hard breaking ball combination, and you know n- not convinced that he's necessarily going to command that He's a big guy but it all works and that's what it's enabled him to move quickly and then the service time thing i think you know we i feel like we talk about this every year and i think jim and i are kind of in the same place in that it, we understand why teams do it it's sort of a shame but in this year with how strange it is it, it's like a total no brainer right he's not even even really missing a turn you know is you keep especially for a starting pitcher keep him down for for 6 days and then he steps right into the rotation, there was zero point at all for Nate Pearson to be on an opening day roster for the Toronto Jays. Like zero, more so than ever before. And, and I am one who in general like understands why teams, especially teams that struggle revenue wise would, would, would do such a thing. It makes financial sense, but in this season in particular, it makes a lot of sense for, for teams to wait that week to before calling a guy like Nate Pearson up.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not disagreeing with the strategy at all. I, I just think it's it's unfortunate. It's, it's I mean it's something the union probably needs to address in the next CBA. But there was there was there was no way they were going to keep Nate Pearson on that opening roster. like You said, Jonathan, and the fact that they would call him up after exactly six days is not a surprise at all. All right, I want to want to
0: talk to you guys about that uh, that scenario uh, relative to a couple other players who were kind of surprises. Uh, in making their opening day rosters. But before we go on to that next topic, here's a word from our sponsor.
2: Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB.
0: All right, so guys, we talked about Nate Pearson and how it made perfect sense whether you like the way this works or not. There was no other way to do it for the Blue Jays and keeping him off the opening day roster and bringing him up after um, six days. A couple guys who made their opening day rosters that I think were surprises to many people. uh, Andres Jimenez of the Mets and Brady Singer of the Royals. With Singer it was less of, less of a surprise, and even throughout spring training, um, you know he was considered to be in the mix for a rotation spot there. But how is how is that any different than Pearson's situation? And you know he came up, he was on the opening day roster, started I believe it was the second game of the season for the Royals. Um, but how how is this different than than Pearson's situation?
1: Well, the, the thing is, you just need six days in. In I can't want to say minors alternate camp this year. It doesn't matter when the six days are. You know, technically, Singer wasn't on the opening day roster. They actually promoted him Saturday or the second day of the season for Saturday start. So he he was he, he did not get service time the first day. So he's already got one day at alternate camp. And the reason he made the the opening day rotation. In part, I mean, he looked good on Saturday, but in part, the reason he made the opening day rotation was that Brad Keller and Jake Junis were dealing with COVID symptoms and weren't, you know, because they missed some time, weren't ready to go. When those guys are ready to go, you simply send Brady Singer to alternate camp for five days, boom, he, he's out of your service time. That, that's easy enough to do. And with Jimenez, I mean, they've been using him as, as a caddy, a defensive replacement for Robinson Cano the first three days. I really think the only reason Andres Jimenez made the opening day roster. Was you had a thirty-man roster. When they cut the roster down to twenty-eight or twenty-six, I think he's going to spend at least six days in alternate camp, and so then you know you're not going to lose a, a full year. You're, you're not going to have a full year service time credited toward free agency, so you delay the free agency for years. So I, I don't think it'll come back to bite either the the Royals or the uh, or the Mets in those cases. Yeah,
2: I, I think that's right. And you know, with with Jimenez, if this. Regular spring training going into the season, I don't, I don't think he's on, on an opening day roster um, for for a couple of reasons. One, you know, is the service time, but two, you know, you wouldn't want someone of his age and experience to lose out on development time by not playing every day. But here you have a scenario where no one's, you know, playing every day. Yeah, in an alternate camp, maybe they're scrimmaging and they're and they're getting work in, but it's not like he'd be in AAA. Uh, playing against advanced pitching, you know, it, it's not the same thing. So I don't think you're – you're not harming him developmentally by keeping him in the big leagues, even if you kept him for the in- entirety of, uh, of this season. Let's say you decide that you want him as your utility infielder off the bench. You know, they, they've got a couple guys uh, Luis Guillorme's up. Um, you know, they could make other decisions in terms of who stays. Um, I, you know, even if they decided, like, well, we're just going to let it roll and, and not worry about the service time thing. Um, or they send him down and bring him back up so they save the service time thing. I, I think that it's easier to make a decision with a player like that because you're not weighing the, the harm developmentally by having him sit and not play as you would not if there were a normal minor league season going on.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we didn't touch on Singer's debut. Um, I, I was just going to say, you know, he kind of was as advertised in that game you know, five strong innings, seven strikeouts against the Indians. Got no decision. Uh, fastball and slider were good, like we knew they were. The interesting thing to me, you know, everybody talks about, you know, Brady Singer. The key to his development is going to be the third pitch, the changeup. You know, he, he's got the the slider to keep you know righties at bay, and he can backfoot it to lefties too. But he needs that changeup, and I think he only threw two changeups in the whole game against the Indians. Very slider heavy. So I'll be interested going forward to see. I, I don't think you're going to see too many starters who can throw almost fifty percent sliders every from start to start. So we're we're going to have to see more of that changeup, and, and I'll be curious to see how much they use it and how how good that changeup gets for him.
0: And then bouncing back to Jimenez, uh, what do you what do you think about the fact that you know while he is up so far, he hasn't he hasn't played at shortstop at all. He's played second base a few times, played third base once. Um, this is a guy who's played almost exclusively shortstop, has played 15 games in the minors at second base. Um, is this something that we can, that we should look forward to in the future from Jimenez? Is he a guy that's, I mean, you know, he, he seems to be blocked at shortstop uh, by Rosario. Can we
2: expect him to kind of play all over the infield? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to, if he's going to play right now in New York, he's he's going to have to move all over the place. I mean, Ahmed Rosario is establishing himself as a you know, as a, an everyday shortstop, he's young. Um, there's no reason for him to to move right now. And, and I like Andre Jimenez. You know, I think he's taken a nice step forward with the bat. He's gotten a little stronger. We saw him in the fall league. He won the batting title, but more than just the, the batting average and the small sample size, he was just impacting the ball better. You know, he was driving it. Uh, it, it he wasn't just punching singles here and there. The previous fall, he was completely overmatched um but interestingly enough, it was the previous fall in 2018 where he played a ton of second base so he's so good defensively that he can play anywhere even if he's not gotten a lot of reps you know i don't uh, he's never played third base uh except one you know one game uh in in the big leagues this year so but you know he's one of these just in Very uh, instinctive and gifted defenders that I think you could play him anywhere; he'll be fine. Uh, But because of Rosario, he's going to have to uh, show that he can move around. I think to break into the big leagues, and then maybe eventually he becomes their second baseman uh, once you know once Cano's contract is over or he retires.
1: I'm going to take a slightly dissenting viewpoint there, Jonathan. I think I think Jimenez is the better shortstop compared to him and Rosario, and I think Rosario's got the better bat and could profile elsewhere. So I think when Cano is done, assuming Jimenez hits enough, and he looked like he would, you know, based on what we saw in the fall league, that Jimenez winds up being your shortstop, and you move Rosario to second base in the long run.
0: All right. So <clears throat> those Jimenez and Singer were a couple guys who. Uh, made opening day rosters that were something of a surprise. A uh, couple surprises on the flip side of that, guys who did not make their opening day rosters, uh, the Brendans, Brendan Rogers, and Brendan McKay. And I think, you know, those guys are uh, did not make their rosters for uh, different reasons, but
2: uh, I think both came as a surprise, right? I think for me, Rogers more than McKay, uh, just because McKay was set back a little bit and miss some time. Um, I, I thought that the best Rockies team would include Brendan Rodgers on it. Um, they did have some you know, more veteran options uh, to play second base, which is where Brendan, you know, Brendan Rodgers would have had the chance to play. But you know, I I I feel that with you were to play second, then Ryan McMahon could play first, and, and Daniel Murphy could DH. Now they could do the same thing and say have Garrett Hampson play second base. Uh, and I haven't looked to see what you know what the Rockies have been doing, uh, you know, over the first few days. I do think you're going to see Brendan Rodgers at some you know at some point. Um, you know, there were very good reports about how he looked in summer camp. He had added uh, some muscle. He was carrying himself better. Uh, his shoulder is all the way back um although he was showing in spring training that he could play second base just fine so i you know that one was a little surprising even though i knew they did have big league big league options there you know with mckay he he had just missed a little time i thought you know there was enough time for him to be you know okay for for their rotation especially given how he threw last you know, last summer, you know, we were expecting that he was going to be one of those guys that we were going to have to replace on the top 100 almost instantaneously. Uh, and then we'll just have to wait for whenever it is the Rays decide to to bring him back up to the rotation. And what about the uh, what about the situation with Brendan McKay?
1: Well, I mean, I think with McKay, I mean, he missed some time in camp, which I don't know if it's officially known or unofficially known, I mean, believed to maybe be related to COVID. And and I think with that, it, it could probably just be more of a precaution, like Jonathan kind of alluded to where, you know, maybe he wasn't built up all the way. Um, you know, they, you know, they, you just, you want him to be a hundred percent ready to go. I mean, they, they have five starters they like. Um, so we'll play it out. I, I would assume that we'd see both those guys before too long.
0: Guys, as we're, uh, as we're sitting here talking a very, uh, Interesting bit of news coming across and that uh, I I just sent it to uh, just slacked it to both of you guys, but a a new part owner of the Kansas City Royals. You guys see
2: this? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, now part owner of the Royals. Talk about immediately taking your contract extension and putting it to use. Jim, maybe Maybe now your uh, your Mahomes,
0: uh, Bobby Witt Jr. comp will uh, we'll have a chance. <laughs>
1: well, well now, now they've upped the ante. Now Bobby Witt Jr. is going to have to buy a piece of the Chiefs um, after he is what? I guess uh, Bobby Witt needs to be league MVP, win the World Series, then buy a piece of the Chiefs to make it on that comp. So
0: Almost guaranteed to happen.
1: Exactly. Okay, so
0: uh, a player that did not make The opening day roster was never really considered to be in contention for an opening day roster spot but then was just so good in summer camp that you know i think generated a lot of buzz maybe didn't warrant consideration for an opening day roster but now apparently is still continuing to impress an alternate camp is jared kelnick who homered twice in an inner squad game yesterday and i mean guys it, it seems like he's just about ready if not ready and I know Mariners fans are just itching to see him in the same outfield with Kyle Lewis. When do you think we can expect to see him?
1: You know the the Mariners aren't going to contend this year Um, but if I'm the Mariners I I call you know again I'll play the service time game because it makes sense to do so. I, I would wait until it's a little more tough to pinpoint arbitration. you know one guys can qualify for super two, but i would I would figure that out, and I would call Kelnick up at some point in the second half of the season. um you know we, we I think we talked about this in a, in a recent podcast too, when you know he was only in the fall league for three games because he has wisdom teeth out and they had a minor injury, and I talked to him after he made his fall league debut, and I was really taken. I asked him what he thought he needed to do to play in the big leagues. And he said, skill wise, he thought he was ready now. And, and it wasn't arrogant. He just says, like, No, I'm ready now. I, like, I'm going to have to learn how to deal with failure at that level. But like, I think I'm ready to play right now. And it, I mean, for whatever you could take out of alternative camp and video highlights and, and the way he looked in spring training, and I mean, shoot the guy in his, his first full season in the minors, played his way to double A and had a 2020 season, I, I wouldn't put it past him either. I, I think he's just one of the, these hitting savants. Um, and. So, I, again, I'd, I'd look at the calendar and try to figure out, okay, how long do we have to keep him down to delay his arbitration eligibility and then call him up after that? Um, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a bad team that's got, you know, D Gordon on one outfield corner, Malik Smith in the other outfield corner. You know, this, this guy's part of my future. I, I want him up as soon as he's re- – well, I guess not as soon as he's ready because he's ready right now probably or he's read ready for a shot. But I want him up as soon as I – you know, it, it makes financial sense to my team.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I was trying to find, I couldn't remember when like, I actually talked about it, but I think I moved him into the long shot category uh, when we were talking about uh, vying, for, uh, vying for a spot uh, just because of how impressive he'd been. And, uh, you know, I think there's a way they could figure out, especially if they think that he will likely be, you know, would be in contention to be in their opening day outfield. Why not let him play enough now with no pressure, but keeping service time in mind um, that, uh, you know, to, to let him play. I think it would be a lot of fun to see what he can do. They only have two true outfielders uh, on their roster currently. Uh, you know, they're using utility guys in the in, in the other spot. Uh, so it's been Malik Smith and Kyle Lewis, but like Jake Fraley's not there. Braden Bishop's not there. Um, so if Kelman keeps raking, I, you know, I would certainly pick him up. All right.
0: Uh, another player who we're just learning is going to be making his Major League debut uh, tonight, in fact, for the Mets, is their 2017 first round pick, David Peterson, uh, six foot six, two 240-pound left-hander who is now slated to start tonight and make his big league debut. Uh, Jonathan, what can you tell us about Peterson?
2: Yeah, I mean, he he was an interesting guy in that he has shown glimpses uh, of being the kind of advanced, uh, advanced college lefty who knows how to, who really knows how to pitch, uh, commands the ball well, uh, really good slider at times, uh, gets a ton of ground balls. Um, and then at other times he's, he's been, you know, more hittable uh, than y- you would like to see, um, you know, and that's where people have some question marks just because outside of the slider, his stuff is, is average. Um, you know, the, the fastball is kind of low nineties uh, but he sinks it and can command it really well. So when he's at his best, he keeps the ball down in the zone and you'll see uh, hitters kind of pounded into the zone. When he is not at his best, he's elevating too much, he's getting too much of the strike zone um, and he's not commanding the slider as well, so he gets hit. Um, and the guy who's a command guy, if he's getting too much of the strike zone, he can run into trouble. Uh, so I think it'll be a, it'll be an interesting test to see what he what he can do with that. And, you know, uh, uh, a lot of questions I have about guys who feature sync when a vast amount of hitters are now all about launch angle. I wonder how that plays long term. Uh, We don't don't think we have enough data to really dig dig into that. But it is something that has crossed my mind more than once where you have a lot of guys who are trying to elevate the ball uh, and more uppercut. Uh, Does that work against a guy who needs to live by keeping their ball down in the zone? So he will be, what, the third
0: first round pick, uh, pitcher-wise, speaking of pitchers, from the 2017 draft to uh, make it to the big leagues, along with Kyle Wright and Brendan McKay, I believe that's right, so, and Wright also scheduled to start tonight, so... Well, was he the kind of guy uh, coming out that you expected to be kind of quick to the big leagues?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the hope with any college pitcher is that the guy is going to be pretty quick to the big leagues. Um, you know, and it was interesting because he had a game, and I can't remember the exact – but didn't he strike out, like, a 20 guys in one game as a junior, you know, shortly before he was a first-round pick? And he just has not been the same, you know, bat-missing type of guy uh, – you know, in the minors, um, you know, in that, I think it was the same draft, the, uh, the Mets, actually, I'm sorry, it was, it was the next year's draft. The Mets took Kevin Smith in the eighth round out of Georgia. And we actually have Kevin Smith ranked ahead of David Peterson, um, on our Mets list. So, um, you know, sometimes guys when they go from pitching every seven days to every five days, their stuff kind of, uh, levels off a little bit, um, And I think that that's kind of been the case with him, you know, like Jonathan said, like he just, he doesn't have an if he's not precise with his location, he can get hit. And I mean, I, I saw him, you know, he actually had, I think, good numbers in the fall league, but I actually saw him lose to a, to a Mexican winter league team down there and his stuff looked very generic the day I saw it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I saw him really good once in the fall league um, like ready to get big league hitters out. His slider was really on the day I saw him. Um, so, you know, I think that shows, you know, what he's about and that there's not a, you know, for guys like that who don't have overpowering stuff, like there's not a lot of margin for error. I was looking back to see, you know, we typically do a, a story
0: following the draft on which draftees will be quickest to the big leagues. And, uh, back in 2017 i was checking to see whether peterson was on that list he was not among the six players that uh, you listed jonathan but jb bukowskis uh, was at the top of the list uh, astros first round pick, number 15 overall pick kyle wright was number two paven smith number three adam hazley number four brendan mckay number five and then uh, as a as a high schooler kind of a an, a bonus to the list was Mackenzie Gore.
1: I think there's only half those guys have made the big league so far. Jonathan should give back half of whatever he got paid to write that story, so.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll go back and calculate that after this. Um, so speaking of the draft, uh, we've been keeping tabs throughout. We did not reach the, uh, we did not even reach the signing deadline this year uh, before every draft pick did in fact sign as Jim, you had predicted all along. You were confident that every pick was going to sign. And that is in fact the case.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know that that is a, a great a pick a pick with a great degree of difficulty because last year, all the players in the first five rounds signed as well. And, and, and I do think, I mean, we talked about this year with the circumstances, five round draft bonus pools were smaller because they're, they're usually based on a 10 round, the first 10 rounds. The, the t- because you only had five picks in most cases, teams were gonna make sure that they could sign the guys more than ever. And, and unless somebody failed a physical and and it was troublesome and the dispute arose, I, I didn't see how somebody was not gonna sign. So yeah, we had you know the last two guys signed on, on Friday, Jake Eater, fourth round pick, the Marlins, signed for an overslot, seven hundred thousand dollars, and Carter Baumler of the Orioles, whose deal had been known for a while, one point five million overslot in the fifth round, he, he finalized his deal. Um, got it done. So, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of drama last year. I think we were waiting for Marlins guys to sign last year, J.J. Bleday and Cameron Meisner. Uh, and then they signed a, a late-round pick, Chris Machma, also. But um, absolutely no drama. Uh, we won't have to uh, sit by our phones Saturday afternoon wondering if guys are going to sign. And, you know, all told, the, the 30 teams spent – Two hundred and thirty-eight million dollars on bonuses in the draft. Um, last year they spent two hundred thirty-seven million on the first five rounds. Three hundred seventeen million overall. Uh, I'll give you a quick quiz. I don't know if either one of you read my my short little synopsis of, of the the signing recap. How much money uh, of that two hundred thirty-eight million this year will teams have to pay upfront to players in bonuses? Oh yeah,
0: so it's only like uh, it's up, isn't it a uh, hundred thousand?
1: It's 100,000 max, but some guys didn't even get 100,000. So, so what? Is, what is the total outlay? You have, you have to give me. You have to go to one decimal place in millions. Total outlay on players that they're getting up front of that 238
2: 100 million. I'm going to say. I have to be up to the decimal point.
1: To, you, you have to give me X.X point X million. Yes. It's somewhat north of 15 million. Okay, Jason. Do you want to get? You want to guess? It's got
0: to be less than that, right?
1: Well, most guys got a hundred thousand, and there were 16, 160 players. So, so it, the, the answer is fifteen point four million, and and so the the oh, nicely h- Half of the remainder will be paid next July, and the other half in July two thousand
2: twenty-two. Um, you know, 18, I uh, go ahead. I was I was not cheating at all by looking at your story just now. Nope, no, I was not. Well,
1: I mean, you if one hundred sixty times a hundred thousand, you figure some guys are under under. So you, I, you, you that I don't long. do math anymore. I you don't do, do math. That, I, I'm crediting you with doing math. But uh, you know, there were eight teams that spent over ten million on the draft, led by the Tigers at, at a little under fourteen million. They were thirteen point nine eight million. Orioles were thirteen point seven million. Obviously, for the Tigers, the bulk of that went to number one overall pick Spencer Torkelson, who set a bonus record at at eight million four hundred sixteen thousand three hundred three hundred dollars was his record total. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it's all wrapped up and, and on to 2021.
0: So Jim, one, one guy who, uh, a guy who got one, approximately one, 238th of, uh, of the total money spent this year. Dodgers. That's
1: terrible math. That's terrible math. Uh, That's what it is. Uh, No, it's not because it's, uh, if there were 238 million, that would mean he got a million dollars and he didn't get a million dollars. So he got
0: approximately, he got, what, 1.16? I said approximately. Okay. Landon Knack, who you had a chance to talk to, Uh, we're not going to play the interview as part of the podcast because it would approximately double the length of the podcast, but we will have it, uh, it is up on the Dodgers site, we'll have it on MLB Pipeline, Uh, but I know Landon Ak is a pretty interesting story.
1: Yeah, I thought I, I told him when I interviewed him. Uh, I, I thought he was the most fascinating guy in the draft to me. So Dos Equis needs to cut a deal with Landon Ack, uh, most interesting guy in the draft. You know, just I mean, his, his whole story just just enthralled me. I mean, this is a guy who coming out of high school back in I guess it was 2015 tears the labrum in his pitching shoulder. He's right hander as a senior, so I mean, obviously doesn't get drafted. Redshirts in junior college as he comes back from that, and then at Walter State as a redshirt freshman, 2017, he dislocates his left shoulder diving for a ball. So he basically has three years where he doesn't play. He comes back in 2018 at Walter State. They go to the finals of JUCO World Series. He goes 13 and 0 on the mound. Hits 11 homers. as a two-way guy, but he's an upper 80s guy, so he's not drafted. Fine, goes to East Tennessee State, and last year he's one of the best pitchers in the Southern Conference. Velocity picks up a little bit, creeps into the low 90s, you know, the last few starts before the draft. And he told me he spent pretty much the whole draft monitoring draft tracker, give give the MLB.com draft tracker a plug on his phone, waiting to see where he was going to get picked. <laughs> and he didn't get picked um, at all. And, and he was just, he, he, was, he was surprised. You know, he wasn't expecting it was, like was going to go super high, but he thought he'd get the opportunity to play pro ball. And so, you know, instead of, Getting mad or kind of "woe is me," uh, you know. He's like, "Okay, I, I've got to get better. Um, you know, I, I've got to get better. I need more velocity. Um, I'm going to get in better shape. I think candy was his vice. He cut cut candy out totally. Got stronger, lost body fat, started throwing harder, and he was just determined. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to get drafted. So, in the fall, he was kind of 90 94, always throwing strikes. You know, scouts saw him in fall ball. We're like, okay, you know, this guy could be a nice discount for the 2020 draft. You know, you're looking for a senior sign you could take to fit in your bonus pool, you know, make other guys fit in your bonus pool. And, um, and then in January, their first preseason workout, he hits 96. Second workout, he hits 97. Third workout, he hits 98. And, you know, only got four starts this spring. But he was, you know, 95, 96 throughout, you know, his starts, touching 98, commanding his fastball, you know, showing a plus slider times, more power to the slider, curveball, bit kind of a get-me-over, different look pitch. Now there's some power to the curve, you know, change-up. He winds up leading um, NCAA with strikeouts and, and strikeout-to-walk ratio. He had a 52-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Um, just an incredible, incredible... Uh, sprint or fifty-one to one. I'm sorry, fifty-one to one straight out the walk ratio. And I, I talked to the Ares Scout who signed him, and and he said that the, the Dodgers analytics department actually mentioned his name, Marty Lambs, the Scout. He signed, I think, six first rounders for the Dodgers in his time, including this year Bobby Miller out of Louisville. And he said the analytics department mentioned to mentioned knack to him back in 2018. When when Nack had begun the season by striking out 42 straight batters without walking a guy, I mean the the to the walk numbers jumped out, but you know Lamb did a little digging and he was throwing kind of mid 80s at times, so he didn't go see him that year. Didn't see him pitch at all last year. At east Tennessee State's kind of in the far east part of the state, and you know there was you know just wasn't a priority guy. They didn't match up with anybody he was going to go see, and, and Marty Lamb said he wouldn't go see him in the fall on scout day, and it was ninety-one, ninety-four, and he was kind of interesting, but he went out, he actually only got to see him pitch <laughs> once in a game, and it was his last start before the shutdown. He you know, he said he was very fortunate, he went to go see him. If he'd waited another week, he wouldn't have he missed him. He struck out 16 and six shutout innings, and he couldn't believe how good he was. He saw him ninety-five, ninety-eight, um, you know, you know, plus slider, you know, just crazy good stuff. And, you know, Marty said, you know, it doesn't matter how old this kid is, you know, he, he's he turned 23 about a month after the draft that, you know, this guy can, you know, you, you could see guys who can throw hard who don't throw strikes. And this guy does both. Um, Marty was really excited about getting him in the second round. Um, he's probably, we don't have great records on fifth year senior prospects, but he's at least gotten the most notoriety since anybody in that demographic since David Fries back in 2006. And usually you're talking about guys who signed for, four-digit bonuses, and, and Landon Knack got seven, twelve, five hundred, which has got to be a record for fifth-year senior. And, you know, I mean, the story keeps getting better. They didn't just sign him. He's in their alternative camp. And, I mean, I've talked to Dodgers. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to make the big leagues this year. I mean, that would be kind of crazy. He's there mainly to get development time. But with his stuff and strikes-throwing ability, the Dodgers told me, you know, it's not out of the question that we could use him in the big leagues. And, and like, when I, I discussed it with Landon, I mean, he's having – I mean, you know, he said he kids it's hard to believe how much his life has changed in the last few months, you know, a year ago, he's, he's, you know, just, you know, can't believe he's not getting picked, you know, he, it's, you know, a real blow. And now he's an alternative camp. He's one of 60 guys. who has got a chance to play for the Dodgers this year. They, they think he's going to move quickly, regardless of whether he's up in the big leagues this year. And, and, you know, talking to Landon Ack and talking to Marty Lamb, his signing scout, we all kind of chuckled, and it's like, look, I mean, pitching in the big leagues this year would be a long shot, but, but so would everything else about his story that's come true this year. So he just, he fascinates me. There, there There's a very long 24-minute interview I did with him that's up on our site now, um, and, and I'm really rooting for this guy. He he was great to talk to, great story.
0: I said we weren't going to play the, uh, the entire interview because it would double the length of the podcast, and Jim, you just talked as long as the interview was.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, he. I, I'm telling you, needs to get on this guy. He was the most interesting guy in the draft. I, I, I could go longer. That was that was the abridged person. He's also he's also Will Craig's brother-in-law. So if you if you listen to the interview, if you listen to 24 minute interview, Jim, we can
2: just talk as if Jim's not talking anymore. It's like we've, when we signed off of the draft uh, of the prospect show. In the network, they just had Jim trail off. Exactly.
1: I was going to say, if you listen to the interview, I asked Landon knack They were both two-way guys. Who would win the Landon Mack, Will Craig matchup, hitter versus pitcher, both ways? So we'll we'll, we'll make you listen to the interview to hear the answer <laughs> to that. One. All
0: right, that's going to do it. Uh, thanks for uh, listening to another episode of the Pipeline Podcast. We'll be back at you next. Time.